are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Hansika Singh is a sustainable fashion professional currently based in Bangalore, India. Last week, we talked to Hansika about her start in the fashion industry. Her time with H&M as a merchandiser responsible for coordinating with various factories producing H&M goods and her time in consumer advocacy, founding Ecofolk and running her own fashion boutique. We chatted about what we can or should expect of brands with regard to sustainability. We concluded that uh, it was something about embracing and communicating openly about their own role in fashion's sustainability woes. Unwillingness to publicly hold up the mirror and look inward. We also looked at what it's reasonable to expect of consumers. Hansika so eloquently suggested that maybe reducing people to the singular role of consumer isn't helpful. We must find ways to flex our muscles as citizens and engage in questions about collective good. What do we want our society to look like? What should our collective goal be? This week, we turn to Hansika's conviction that sustainability in the fashion world requires a system lens. We start by talking about what system change means to Hansika. Next, we get into some concrete example of what system change looks like in Hansika's current role with the Forum for the Future. And finally, we ask, if system change resonates, where does that leave the individual? Should we just throw up our hands? Where do the individual and the system intersect? And what can we, as sustainable fashion advocates, actually do? If you are on Instagram, please follow us to help us grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Not much of an Instagram person? We feel you. We have a love-hate relationship with social media, too. Sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. Let's talk about systems change. So you were, I guess, very conscious of the limits of what brands can achieve in sustainability. You went to the consumer side and left that experience also feeling a bit um, doubtful, maybe, of the power that consumers have in terms of changing the fashion industry. So tell us about where that took you next and... Um, your conclusion that the fashion industry requires systems level change. And it would it would be great if you could also include some kind of definition of what systems change means for you. Right. Okay. So I think, uh, mm-hmm. so by this time I'm like, I have about six, seven years of work experience and I uh, I realized that I, I have inadequate knowledge on a lot of things because I think... Uh, even by the virtue of my education, I was professionally trained to look at the world in a certain way and look at like really, really narrow questions. And I, I come from a family which is my father was an engineer and he was, you know, working to in production of planes. So I understood like he would talk about his works. I was fascinated by production. I was fascinated by fashion. And I uh, did a four-year course in apparel production. And what that really means is like 
they teach you everything about how clothes are made a big you know big machines wow okay so, that's yeah. very interesting so it's, it sounds more like industrial engineering yes, direction yeah components of in, industrial engineering some management uh, everything that you would need to learn to be like a good factory manager uh, so i i decided it would be a good idea to go back to school maybe and try to educate myself i had uh some savings and a lot of privilege to kind of make that life choice so i did that and uh, i i think that was quite a transformative experience because um in in the kind of and and i consciously chose to go to university in india because i know while looking at sustainability courses i was coming across courses all over the world which were very attractive but when i would dig deeper into the curriculum it would be and this is this might be a gross generalization i'm sure there's great courses out there but the vast majority of courses i was coming across are very either very technical in nature or very very managerial in nature and so either you're trying to manage that you know the whole risk way of sustainability or saying yeah these these are some innovations and some technical ways of looking at things and you can just fix it which really didn't sit with you know <laughs> all that i was thinking about the world at that time and i came very close to where i was in bangalore there was a university and i was hearing some very interesting conversations happening there and i was like this is a good place to you know go and learn more about how the world works maybe it will it will teach me a thing or two if nothing else um and i think yeah in that context i think i for example never realized my caste privilege in this country so caste system is is like india's version of racism in, but we just do it within our own race uh, so i mean and i never realized the kind of caste privileges that i hold uh, never really critically questioned the role of uh, colonization in you know in making the world way the world looks currently and how a lot of these industries have their like roots in slave labor uh, and mm. to then expect that they will be distributive overnight is such an oxymoron because they are really serving well the purpose of whatever they were designed to serve right and that and that's what you know a fundamental redesign and reshift of things uh, mean if if more of us kind of see that and at least my own education till that point had not prepared me to look at the world in that in that way and i think uh, I, i have i walked out being a big proponent of liberal education uh, along with any professional courses that we all do because i i mean it it really equips you to deal with these questions of collective choices uh, i i don't think you you might do really well professionally with a certain kind of education but uh, true education really allows you to you know engage with the more complex questions um so i think while doing this i i kind of came across the idea of systems change and i was very impressed by the work of eleanor ostrom who was the first woman to win the economics uh, nobel prize in economics and um, i i find resonance in a lot of her ideas uh, i mean there there i came across another very influential systems thinker donella meadows in university and i i mean she would define systems change in a in a very very unique way she has a very nice paper on it but like really simple ways uh, so a system could be anything that has you know a boundaries and set of subcomponents that interact with each other through relationships uh and you can look at anything in the world and you would find a system there so you have education system you have legal system you have the whole fashion industry as a system right and so what donella meadows did was she she based on all like her years of work uh she identified these places that you can interfere in a system to create radical change 
So if you if you create, let's say, loops of information in a certain way, positive or reinforcing loops or balancing loops, then how does that change the nature of the system? And I think the one that stuck stuck me like really nicely is like when you change the goal of a system altogether, what what that does, right? So that's like a more higher level. And I think there are some 12 or 13 uh, places or, or levers of change, as, as she calls it, where you can interfere in a system and change, uh, you know, create change in the system. And uh, so changing the goal of a system was a, was a profound one, which I also experienced in my work later on, which was uh, to look at the education system of India, right? And uh, if you kind of change the goal of education system from in, from a very Marx-oriented, you know, you pass the exam, get marks, use that as a way to get to the next stages, to a more learning outcome-oriented system, uh, then it it really changes the behavior of people within that system, right? Because they know what they will be uh, evaluated against at the end of the day. And when we are individual people in a system, I think we are intuitively responding to what we think is expected of the system, right? What we will be evaluated against. And if you just somehow manage to change that, it just creates its own profound uh, impact in the system in which you will start noticing people's behaviors are changing. So I think that was my introduction to... Uh, systems change and i was i was very motivated to work you know more in this direction uh, but those jobs are not they don't come in abundance and i was not feeling particularly entrepreneurial right after my masters because i had done a bit of that um, right before going to school uh, so i um, i i was working with a corporate sustainability responsibility firm uh, right before i uh, joined forum for the future which is where i work currently and one of the ways that we work with is uh, using the you know systems change techniques and uh, you know what what that really entails is like uh, getting a bunch of people together who have a stake in the problem and uh, making a system map like enabling everybody to look at what 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 it really looks like because we all think we know but when you see a map of a system you really realize like it hits you oh there are these so many moving interconnected parts and then it becomes easy to, not easy, but it, it becomes more approachable or accessible to find out, okay, if we do this here in the system, things might change a little bit. Yeah. So maybe I think it might be helpful to give an example. With Forum for the Future now, one of the main projects you're working on is Cotton 2040, yes. yeah. right? Correct. So, so tell us a bit about what does a systems change approach look like in this specific project? Right. So Cotton 2040 is a project uh, that Forum for the Future has been convening uh, for the last five years. And this has been supported by the Lourdes Foundation. And um, I think we went in asking this, the, the big question of, you know, what, what would it mean to, uh, you know, build more uptake of sustainable cotton? You know, what would it mean for the cotton industry to be more sustainable, more broadly? And... Uh, I think in every phase uh, of the project, we worked on, you know, we arrived at a conclusion and we said, this is what is needed right now. And we kind of delivered that. So in the immediate last phase, we realized that uh, there are so many standards in sustainable cotton itself, right? And so um, you have an organic cotton standard, you have better cotton, then you have fair trade. And what would it mean for these standards to come together and create an alignment uh, to, you know, see eye to eye on what, what metrics of impact would look like. So I think that was one of the things that we tried to achieve in the last phase. Uh, another thing was to just put the knowledge out there because sometimes I think the information flows and that's also one of the levers of change that Donella Meadows identify is 
if you shift the information flow in the system, uh, that also creates its own impact in the system. So uh, we created something called the Cotton Up Guide, which is a free resource for the entire you know, fashion industry at large. It's open source to refer and understand, uh, kind of demystify this whole, you know, what what is sustainable cotton? What are the standards behind it? What does it mean? What are the impacts that we're looking at? Why why do we want the industry to be more sustainable? So like defining the problem, uh, then laying out all the different, you know, options for a brand to, you know, choose from and to really realize for an organization where they are in their journey of sustainable cotton, how can they kind of get more ahead in that journey? Yeah. So I think that's that's one of the things that we did in the last phase. So when I hear that, it sounds wonderful, but um, as a factory manager or a former factory manager, my question, of course, like when I hear this, it's very clear that a systems change approach requires collaboration and a diversity of perspectives, because I think, and tell me if I got it right, but it's about somehow recognizing that the world is complex and interconnected and that change is not always linear and can happen at multiple levels at the same time. And therefore, we have to have a lot of people in the conversation realigning around a new goal. And 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 that really, it's hard for me to imagine how that happens without also talking about power. Because there are certain stakeholders who, for whatever reason, have a vested interest in the system as it stands. Right. Then there are also stakeholders like suppliers or factory managers who, for a lot of reasons, are probably quite unwilling to participate openly in the conversation. Right. If I And it, it comes back to trust between brands and suppliers and the absence of that trust. So how do you... How do you shift the flow in information without also somehow facilitating a shift in power? Because that, for me, seems like a prerequisite, and that's where I get stuck. So what do you, what do you say to people, like, not skeptics, but people who might have that reaction or that response? I think you, you're very right in identifying that none of the, you know, I mean, it, it sounds great on paper, but of course, it'll hit the same challenges that any well-meaning initiative would when you go in the real world and you come across these power structures. And I think we're very cognizant of that in our work and we try to eliminate uh, biases around, you know, inequalities as much as we can. And that that is a limited capacity. We are a non-profit. Can you give an example of how you do uh, that? So when we are doing the system diagnosis, for example, and I can give you um, an example of our work on regenerative agriculture that we were doing in the US, for example, which was fu- funded by a corporate foundation. And when we when we were in the systems diagnosis phase, the question we were asking is the broad question of what will it take to scale up regenerative agriculture in the U.S. And uh, if if your funder is a big corporate house, uh, you would intuitively imagine that it will be hard to let's say get a indigenous community uh, group on the table. But we managed to do that in the in the you know stakeholder consultation as well as the eventual workshop where we were drawing the system map and agreeing on you know what what is it that's missing. Uh, we managed to get all kind of diverse voices on the table. And I think that's the kind of trust that we, uh, for, for the future, has built over the years where, you know, we understand and recognize these power imbalances and we make sure uh, we could be funded in a certain way. We could be funded by, you know, maybe certain existing powerful forces. But that doesn't uh, stop us from speaking truth to power in most of the times. And that's why we have the reputation of being called a critical friend 
uh, by some of uh, you know our corporate partners that we work with. I think we're very candid in that sense, and in our limited capacity, we try to create that shift as much as we can. And of course, there are a lot of things that are you know also needed on a, on a much wider uh, scale, wherein the industry needs to get towards certain kind of realizations. And by only having these repeated conversations, can you start building more and more trust? So another example that I always give in this case is, and, and Forum has a legacy of being an organization that started in the UK and then became international. So we are very aware of these questions. So something that our Singapore team is working on currently is a project called Circular Leap Asia, which is really looking at the question of what would circular economy look like from a manufacturer-led perspective? Because we always talk, like you rightly said, we talk about uh, these big brand green dreams of, you know, coming from a very brand-led perspective. And when we think of leaders, we immediately think of trends. But we should also recognize, you know, the agency and leadership of big manufacturers who are sitting in Asia and a lot of other parts of the world who would also, I mean, they 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 are the most impacted by some of these decisions, right? And uh, the Circular Leap Asia project kind of... Uh, does a system inquiry with them to understand what are those areas that you know they can work with to make their business more circular, which will not not just you know not just for the benefit of saying yes we are circular, but also helps them in a certain way in addressing some inefficiencies in, in the way they are working. I want to talk a little bit about the role of the individual in systems change because I think it's often something that when we talk about systems change on a theoretical level, it makes a lot of sense. But I think it can also runs the risk of leaving the individual to feel quite unempowered about what's their role in trying to be an agent of change in the world. And I raise this because a lot of the most of the feedback that we've gotten to this podcast and also to a lot of the articles that I've written has come from, I don't know what to call them, but maybe I would call them like internal dissidents. Mm. Like people who are working within brands or working within sustainable fashion spaces that are a little bit more mainstream, yeah. who kind of see all of the things that we have discussed today, yeah. but feel very unempowered to do anything about it. Right. And I'm curious, like, and I don't know if you have an answer, and if you don't, that's okay. But I'm I've been thinking a lot about this group or this cohort of people because and ha- like what 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 can i do or what do they need to be able to have exert some kind of influence within the spaces that they work um be- and it, and that's why i i wonder like what you think about that question and whether systems change has anything to contribute to that question a great question, I think, and having been a dissident in multiple companies, I think I can really, yeah, it's a question that I've thought a lot about. And more recently, I've been more hopeful about this question, and I'll tell you why. Uh, being a systems change organization, we we don't lose any opportunity to analyze, you know, how the world is changing. And I think COVID uh, was, in some sense, that opportunity for us to so we were in the process of writing our annual publication, which is the Futures of Sustainability Report, which comes out next month. And uh, what we did was in a pre-COVID scenario, we had come up with these different bunch of um, dynamics on, you know, what 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 are these different forces that are shaping sustainability in the world? And uh, one, of, one of the obvious things that stood out was, you know, the question of injustice and inequality and how that's, you know, gaining more and more prominence because inequality is really growing. 
And of course, in the post-COVID world, that has just become an even more important conversation to have. And I was just like helping write a chapter on that today. And uh, I was writing something about the generational value transition that will uh, happen sometime in the in the middle of the 2020s, where you will have so many of these Generation Z and millennials, you know, rising um, the ladders of power in some sense, but their value system will essentially be something that is uh, not what we have perhaps seen in these settings before, right? And that will create a lot of internal pressure in these organizations, one that they need to be, and I know this from experience, that a lot of organizations already recognize this and are responding to this, that uh, until now, all of this was perhaps a more external conversation that, the, you know, more, you know, PR-related conversation. But when this becomes very real is when this activism starts to come with, from within your employees. And I think that's a great lever of systems change, if you ask me. And I think that makes me really helpful that these people exist. They exercise their critical thinking and they are asking questions when they're sitting on the table in those rooms. Is that the most they can do, you think? Ask questions? No, I would go back to... <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know because I, I, I say this because... I have had a lot of conversations with people who are like, well, I try, but they feel frustrated and they feel like they're not getting anywhere, you know, or they feel like, um, you know, I think people's like often people professionally, their scope of responsibility is so narrow that asking questions allows them to see how their very narrow slice of work fits within a bigger picture. And yet their responsibility remains that, pretty narrow slice. And so, so then, then they're left with this, like, okay, I recognize, and I don't want to use the word cog in a machine because I don't think that's nice, but like they, I recognize that I am sort of that in my professional capacity, I am facilitating or an, I am like an enabling piece for a much bigger machine. And now I have the awareness or I see how that is happening, you know, how I am yeah, implicated in that, I guess. And yet still my responsibility is only this, yeah. right? That can be a, and I think a lot of alien, it's something that I, I, I've experienced and I continue to perhaps experience because I don't think there's any perfect place or organization where you can feel, yes, I woke up today and I made all the difference in the world. There are frustrating days in, in my job as well. And I, I can relate to that, right? How, and what, what that does to people is it, at least to me, I think it it creates, alienation sometimes sometimes uh you know your mental health is compromised and i think in those moments i tell myself it'll be really brave of me to just take care of myself and and you know go with my day but obviously like you said is is that what we can do no it, it shouldn't be that much just that much i, I think there are more uh, slightly more to do as an individual in a in a big company or let's say as an individual in a system it's like a boat i'm waiting for a wind to 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 sail so there's no wind. So what can I do? As an individual, I must feel very frustrated or powerless to see yeah. if I can push some of the small activities become bigger and then bigger and bigger. And eventually not just on myself, of course, but with others. So eventually there is a trend. I love that an analogy. It's clear that one of the ingredients or prerequisites is redefining the goal. And that's what you spoke to also, Hansika, earlier in this episode, is that it's it's about getting all the stakeholders around the table and redefining the goal. But it's not like we can just get the whole fashion industry together around the table, discuss what that goal should be, and then come up with like action points for each player and move forward. 
So the question I think really is, how do we change the goal? And for me, this is where I see some hope or some room for optimism and also where it gets interesting because where it's for me, it's really where individual action and systems change maybe kind of seem to connect because individual action, I think, is necessary to get enough people to share a common understanding of a problem and to have a similar view on what needs to change. I mean, Getting to that shared understanding, I think, is only possible through individual action. And it's only then that we can kind of move in the same direction. So maybe individual action is about getting that critical mass that ultimately results in the kind of cultural shift, which ultimately redefines the goal. And I think, Hansika, that speaks to what you were saying about the next generation of leaders and CEOs who have a totally different value system that might hopefully start to appear in the mid-2020s. So it's not about reducing individual actions to a drop in an ocean, useless in the face of such uh, vastness. It's about reframing it. Those internal dissidents matter because by having the conversations, they change the culture. And really, a cultural shift is another way, at least in my mind, of saying shifting goals. And that's what will enable us to also then subsequently redirect at a systems level. So, you know, maybe I take back what I said. Maybe it's not is asking questions all we can do. Maybe it's actually the critical thing to do. Hansika, thank you so much for joining us. Getting to hear about your incredibly thoughtful and deliberate journey has really um, created some more space, some much needed space for the imagination. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.